0: Ninja, 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 Ninja,
1: Radio Drone. Welcome to another Wasted Thursday night. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Cecil T. Robot. Go, Ninja! Go, Ninja! Go! I told you I was going to scan you and kill you if you did that joke tonight. I had It wasn't a joke. I just had to get that out of the way early. Alex is off this week because of some personal issues. He was unable to watch the movies we're reviewing this week, so Alex gets a week off. Replacing him is the never-replaceable himself, Mike White.
2: I want my black ninja.
1: You will get a Black Ninja. We will talk about Christopher George's over-the-top performance in a little bit. But first, go to adamandeve.com, and you get 10 free gifts. On top of whatever you buy, if you use the promo code DROME, you'll get six free DVDs. A gift for him, a gift for her, a free mystery gift, a gift for both of you, and what the hell, we'll we'll throw in for U.S. shipping, too. Just why not? So use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Now tonight, we're going to talk ninjas not probably the way most people think we're going to talk ninjas. We are going to look at the Golan Globus canon ninja trilogy, which a lot of people might not even realize is an actual trilogy, starting with 1981's Enter the Ninja. Before we get into the background on this, your thoughts on, the, on Enter the Ninja, let's say in its 1981 context.
2: Well, whether it's 1981 or 2014, I enjoyed the hell out of this movie. This was the first time I had ever seen this movie, and... I really thought that it was going to be a lot worse than it was, and it ended up really entertaining me. And it had a lot of action movie cliches and everything. And like Franco Nero was really dubbed in this one. I mean, really dubbed. Yeah, I was right there for this film. I really enjoyed it.
3: Enter the Ninja is, is such a classic. I, even though not to go into the other ones, but it's it's my least favorite of the three. It's still good like that doesn't that doesn't mean that it's a bad movie it's just that the other ones i felt were so much stronger but this one uh franco nero he's such a badass in this the story is is a lot of fun it's ridiculously violent and it's it's a movie i've seen a bunch of times uh the choreography is good it's such a yeah it's just a kick-ass movie
1: Enter the Ninja is the film that really kicked off the American Ninja craze. I don't mean the American Ninja franchise. That comes later in canon's history. Before Enter the Ninja, there was the 1980 Chuck Norris film, The Octagon. That was the first American-produced Ninja film. It did pretty good, but it didn't kick off anything in pop culture. After Enter the Ninja, in the next year, there were 10 Ninja movies financed by American studios. Enter the Ninja is the film credited with putting Ninja... In the American lexicon it's it's kind of weird that the Chuck Norris movie didn't do that as I think it's a better film but enter the ninja was a massive financial success made for between 1.2 and 1.5 million dollars it made I get varying numbers on this between 7.5 and 9 million dollars domestically at the box office and then another 20 million dollars on home video and on pay cable for throughout the next couple of years. This film was the very definition of a financial success. Directed by Golan of Golan and Globus. He directed this film himself, written by Dick Desmond. Nobody's ever heard of him before. This was his only screenplay. The weird thing is, Golan directed this movie out of spite. Because Cannon was producing Death Wish 2 at this point, Golan wanted to direct Death Wish 2. Charles Bronson would not let him. He said, I'll take the film elsewhere. I'm not doing it if Golan directs it. Golan just kind of said, oh, yeah? Well, screw you. I'm making Enter the Ninja then. Even though it's all within the same company, this was this was a spite movie. Golan made Enter the Ninja to prove to Charles Bronson that he could have made Death Wish too." I had no idea, actually.
3: That's pretty interesting, uh, especially that it's like directly in-studio fighting. And I, I like... You know, I, I like his directing in this. I, I thought it was, it was really it's a good. a little clunky at a couple of parts, but overall it's competent, yeah. But overall, I mean, it, it works. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not uh, it's not top-shelf stuff, but I mean, for the kind of movie it is, I
1: think it, it, it works. I think it's good.
2: Well, of course, I'm reminded of the, you know, the warring Lombada films of a few years later.
1: <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that would be after Canon actually broke up, and that was between Galan and Globus right there, yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, as they are you know, like fighting to get the movie out first and everything, so... Pretty funny that uh, this was made out of spite but yeah I agree I think it was I mean especially the opening credits I think are super stylish and really look nice and there are a couple really well directed bits in here yeah some of its kind of clunky and stuff but it's you know on par with like the it reminded me a lot of like the women in prison films from like the late 60s early seventies stuff that was shot in the Philippines so it's not Jack Hill quality but it's like lower tier Corman-esque quality
1: Well, and you mentioned the Philippines. Usually when an American movie is shot in the Philippines, they try and pretend it's America or somewhere else. I like the fact that they just say, this is Franco Nero visiting his buddy in the Philippines, and they don't even try to hide the fact that this was shot in the Philippines. I appreciated that the same way I kind of like how I appreciated the Forever Night TV series of just saying, you know what, it just takes place in Canada. I like when they don't try to hide that shit. But then you've got this cast... Look at the cast. You got Franco Nero, you got Kasugi, you got Susan George with her big bug-eyed appearance, and you got Christopher George as the villain, who is, I swear, in a different movie. He is chewing so much scenery, he's in a separate film than the rest of these guys, or am I the only one that saw that?
2: He was amazing. I really didn't know much about Christopher George before I saw this movie, only to find out that he was born in Royal Oak, Michigan, which is just like, you know, half an hour away from here. He has been in uh, some very interesting films. I forgot him from City of the Living Dead. But yeah, he was amazing in this. Just, oh, like him and his, uh, it is very much a different movie, like especially him and his uh, henchman, Frank.
0: Mr. And Parker.
2: Yes, and just all of his uh, guys around him, and how he doesn't allow Hook to even talk to him, and yeah, it, it's a fantastic. Whenever he is on screen, I am just riveted.
1: And my my biggest problem, honestly, was Susan George. She didn't. She both seemed like she was too into the role and didn't want to be here at the same time.
2: Yeah, she's an interesting one. I mean, I mostly know her from Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, where she looks a lot more. Gaunt and like she's got those. You talked about her bug eyes to me, she's got these huge choppers. Something about that always kind of turns me on. So, like, I've always been kind of attracted to Susan George, but yeah, you're right. She was like perfect, playing the role really well. But yeah, I got this feeling like I am so far above this material. Listen, I worked with Peck and Paul, I do not need to be
1: here. And then, of course, we can't forget Franco Nero. You know, here's the thing, and I don't know if this would have affected his performance if he'd known it beforehand. He didn't know he was going to be dubbed. I don't know if that affected his performance or not, but I do appreciate one thing that Golan did here. Whenever you can't see Franco Nero's face, it's actually show Kasugi in the costume. A lot of this stuff, you can see it's actually Franco Nero doing a lot of the fight scenes. I appreciated that, too.
2: Yeah, I thought he did a really good job.
1: Oh, amazing cast. And one
3: thing that uh, that you didn't mention, when Christopher George, his death sequence is just fantastic, where he just takes the star to the chest. And the just... best part is the very
1: end of it. He kind of does this shoulder he thing like, the... whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, swear that was like an ad lib the... and Gavon <sighs> just kept it in the film.
3: It's so great. It's perfect. He's just like, uh, all right. Like, And he falls over. Oh, it's wonderful. His expression. And the fact that they kind of did it in just a little bit of slow motion is perfect. But uh, I mean, Shokasuki is the glue that ties all three of these films together. He's amazing. Uh, and Franco Nero's performance is just terrific. He is very believable as this badass. So, and a
1: mustache I, that could
3: kill even Burt Reynolds. It oh, yeah. certainly could. Yeah, it's a great cast. Just a terrific movie. And then, I
2: was so surprised that it was a white guy being the ninja of the title, because I was just like, as soon as they were showing Shokusuji, I was just like, OK, at some point, like, you know, Nero's going to go bad and he's going to take over and it's going to be his movie. And then when it ended up being the white guy the whole time, I was like, is am I watching the right movie? Is this really <laughs> what's happening
1: right now? OK, yes, but... he's literally the white ninja, both in race and his costume is pure white. So he's the white ninja, literally.
2: You mentioned, you know, how this really kicked off the ninja craze for people that weren't around in the early 80s. I mean, ninjas were huge and everybody wanted those stupid uh, throwing stars. I mean, this like took the you know, youth culture by storm. I mean, like this was the thing, like when you were a kid playing like ninjas and stuff you know like forget cowboys and indians by this time you know in in 1981 i'm running around you know nine years old in my neighborhood and it's just like ninja this ninja that like all over ninja ninja every day it was all about being as cool as ninjas you know it was like Kane on tv doing kung fu and ninjas on you know the late night movie channels how can we be as cool as these guys are well
1: and we also have to point out that Golan did a pretty decent job I, I you know like I was fighting with Cecil a little bit about the direction there are some clunky bits there's one really part where I actually paused the movie and went are you kidding me after they kick hook out of after he tears hooks hook off and he throws it at him there's actually a wah wah oh, yeah. on, the, on the soundtrack <laughs> I went are you kidding me
2: Oh, the sad trombone. And it's not even like the typical sad trombone. It goes on for longer than a typical sad trombone noise.
1: Yeah, I was like, okay, that was bizarre. But then there are two really interesting directing things that Galan does in this. There's no dialogue whatsoever for the first 13 minutes of the film. I thought that was interesting for a 1980s movie. And then there's the scene where Frank and Marianne are having their marital argument and Shokusugi, as the evil ninja, is breaking into their compound, the focus is on them arguing about their marriage. But in the background, you can see Shokusugi taking out all their guards, just slightly out of focus. I'm like, that's a very artistic shot, actually. Yeah,
3: it was good. That's one of the things why I say that I think that his direction in this was solid, because of little things like that. It was cool.
2: Yeah, which really kind of floored me. I was like, really? We're doing this this way? This is fantastic. You know, it, it's it's more not... than
1: what you expected from a ninja movie. Exactly.
2: I, I didn't buy a ticket to actually be, you know, thoroughly entertained like this. I, I was expecting like very ham handed kind of stuff. I mean, even going back to that beginning part, like I was actually like, really? What, what's going on here? Like I fell for what they were going for with the way that they set up this opening not to be training, but to actually be like this fight. And then when he cut the guy's head off in the beginning, I was just like, God, that looks so fake, man. Is this movie going to suck like this? And then when it's supposed to be fake, I was like, okay, good. Oh, all right. Good. You,
1: you surprised me, movie. Congratulations. And like, like we said, Enter the Ninja kicked off the Ninja craze to the point where this movie was the first hit made by a ninja movie made by an American studio. Do you think that was kind of a ballsy decision to go at that point, especially considering the Octagon had just come out a year earlier? Like I said, it didn't lose money, but it was not a giant financial success. It basically broke even. Do you think Glon and Globus were on to something that they could kind of tell the pulse that America and American studios were ready Four ninjas or Amer- the american bastardization of ninjas or was it did they kind of dumb luck stumble into this
2: gosh i don't even want to answer that one because i would like it if they had realized what was going on and these guys were pretty good at you know exploiting things but i mean it seems more dumb luck to me frankly because it's not like Golden Globe is, they seem to me to be the guys who are like, you know, the Italian studios where they're going to come along once something has been proven. And then, okay, we're going to take that idea and we're going to run it into the ground. You know, you've got the the policiers or whatever, and that becomes the Eurocrime movies where they do it forever or, or these kind of things. Though uh, Golden Globes feel like that to me. So them doing a super successful ninja film after only one had been made just seems like they kind of fell into it. But, you know, I'm sure they would say different.
3: Yeah, I'm with Mike. I think that... As much as I would like to say, oh, yeah, you know, we we saw this coming and we went with it. I have a feeling they just kind of took a gamble and it ended up being
1: successful. That's kind of my feeling, too, because Golan and Globus were very much, Mike Mike made the apt analogy like the Italian producers, but, you know, in this case, literally Israeli, but for our purposes, American. They didn't seem to start too many trends outside of the ninja craze. And I think it was more dumb luck. They made the right movie at the right time for the right audience. We were all kids growing up on these movies, and we were the target audience. Despite them all being rated R, kids were the target audience. The screenplay is not too complex. The acting is not too complex, but it's complex enough that you're never bored.
2: I mean, again, going back to the Lombada thing, I mean, that was the hit song, so they make the movies based out of that. So I guess they're kind of trying to get figure things out and be able to you know, um, make a movie out of that. Like, they, you know, I, to, I want to say they did, like, Salsa when that was a big dance crane. Oh, so, God, I remember that. And and maybe, like, there was, you know, a, they felt like there was going to be a big uh, arm wrestling renaissance or something for Over the Top. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were just more like, you know, the spaghetti kind of thing. Let's throw it against the wall and see if it sticks because it just – feels like maybe there's a glimmer of something and they're going to try to do it. You know, I don't know if they ever did like a a roller, roller boogie type movie or anything, but it seems like they would be, some of the guys would be like, this roller skating, this is really popular. You know, I mean, they did like the disco Bible story with the Apple. So they're willing to go out onto a limb and and do some really far out shit in hopes that, you know, it might catch on with, with the kids, you know, the kids, they love this stuff.
1: And does that not say something about the 80s, that we all saw these and they were R-rated? Ah, I miss the 80s when the rating really didn't matter.
2: And when you just, you know, everybody's getting cable, everybody's checking out the late night stuff, and, you know, the movie channel is out there just like R-rated movies all day long. We don't give a shit.
1: Well, and I do want to point out one other weird, uncredited casting decision that was in Enter the Ninja. Future American Ninja star of the American Ninja series, Michael Dudikoff, is uncredited as one of Christopher George's goons. Franco Nero beats him up in this in the background. Kind of the same way Jackie Chan was an uncredited thug in Enter the Dragon, and then goes on to be the big Kung Fu star. Here you've got Michael Dudikoff getting his ass beat by Franco Nero uncredited in Enter the Ninja. I just kind of like the dichotomy of that, you know? Probably... They saw what he could do. They just hired him as like an extra or whatever. And they're like, wait, this guy can actually fight. And he's good looking. You know, <laughs> let's make him, you know, the American Ninja for, you know, that series. Well, the first three, I don't think he's in the last two of those, but we're not talking yeah, I about those think, tonight. Yeah, well, exactly. the, the last American Ninja movie is not even an American Ninja movie. They hell that. That wasn't even yeah. made as one of those. They just slapped the title on it but that that's a whole different story. So hey, that... just
2: going back to what I was saying before, I forgot that Golden Globus produced the breaking movies, you know, on, uh, of course Breaking 2 Electric Boogaloo in the first one. So I guess they were all about like what the next dance craze is, really. I, I'm really focusing on that. So maybe you know they were hoping like ninjas would become dancers at some point.
1: Well, we're actually going to be talking about the Breaking movies in a little bit when we get to Ninja 3, because they actually play into this. Before that, we have to go to 1983's Revenge of the Ninja, the sort of, kind of, almost, maybe, not really sequel to Enter the Ninja. Now, this is the weird thing about this Ninja trilogy. None of the movies are connected story-wise. None of them have any characters that, that carry over. And Shokusugi is the only actor that's in all three of them, but he plays a different character in each one. This is one of the most loosely connected trilogies out there. I guess it's an anthology trilogy, if you will. Now handing over the reins to Sam Furstenberg, who would go on to direct the next film as well as the American, first couple American Ninja movies, the later Delta Force movies, and Break into Electric Boogaloo. Revenge of the Ninja is the most problematic of the canon ninja trilogies. Written by, written by James R. Silk, who is a, just a canon writer, everything he wrote was a canon film, and when they went out of business, he stopped writing screenplays, so... Revenge of the Ninja was the most financially successful of all the canon ninja trilogy, as well as being the one the most heavily cut by the MPAA. It was at this point that they ran afoul. I mean, they beheaded Shokusugi in the first film. Tons of people get stabbed. Frank gets his throat slit. Revenge of the Ninja was full of MPAA cuts, which have never been restored. Mike, I know you didn't like Revenge of the Ninja as much. What are your thoughts on this one? Is it a good follow-up to Inter?
2: Oh, God, no. Not to me, anyway.
1: I... I... I made the
2: mistake my copy of enter the ninja was not playing the audio so I said okay well let's go to revenge of the ninja and I'll just start there because I knew per our previous conversation that there was no real continuity behind these films so okay I'll just start anywhere and I was cursing your name the whole time because I'm just like really this is terrible I can't I mean it was like the movie was defying me to pay attention to it, and I just was like almost had to put on the uh, Alex from Clockwork Orange eyelid li- lifters here to watch this film. I just could not get into it. Though once they got to the village people gang, I did perk up for a few minutes, but after that, it was again back to slogging it through. So I, I was, uh, you were in the doghouse, whether you knew it or not, Josh.
3: Ow. Uh, two was actually the first one that I ever saw. Well, I guess it, it shouldn't really be called two because it's just revenge. Call it of revenge.
2: Ninja. Revenge
3: of the ninja, yes. It was the first, uh, I don't know if it was the first ninja movie that I saw, but I know this was the first of this trilogy that I saw. And, uh, I always had a soft spot for it. I, I thought that, um, the fact that it has that just ridiculous kick ass opening where the, the ninjas just come in on uh, Shokasugi's house and just slaughter everybody and, um, then, you know, they go to America, but they're really smuggling
1: heroin in, in these, you know, the you know, little China dolls. And In all um, honesty, there's way too much plot going on in this movie that gets in the way of the story, you know? I don't know though. I mean,
3: because the action scenes, there were so many of them were that were good. Where he's on the back of the van and he's fighting everybody, and then he's at the the, the schoolyard and he's fighting everybody, and and then that ending sequence where uh, they're they're on the roof and they're just using all like the different ninja gear fighting back and forth. And I, I just I don't know. I've always enjoyed this movie. I don't I don't think it's boring at all. I don't think it's bad or I don't think it's slow paced or anything. Like it, I like it a lot.
1: Mike, I gotta I I'll say
2: that I liked Sugi as the protagonist in this, you know, like I said in the first one, I was like, Well, I don't know, this white guy doing this ninja stuff, okay, he's kinda of co opting the culture and everything. So I like that Sho is the man and everything, but for me there's almost like too little of him. Like they spent a lot of time with his kid who, yeah, he is playing this kid in this as well. And it's just like, oh man, just get this kid out of here. I don't care about this. And really my biggest complaint of watching this film is just how bad it looked. It reminded me a lot of like 18 production quality where just like everything was so flatly lit and you just, it, it was almost like you were expecting to see one of the guys who had built the sets to like walk out in front of the camera at some point.
1: Look at that, it's an arm.
3: It it did have a little bit of a Master Ninja look to it.
2: Master Ninja theme song. Yes!
1: Master
3: Ninja theme song.
1: I can see where the cuts where they ran afoul of the MPAA. Some of the cuts are very abrupt and not exactly subtle. There's some smash cuts when it comes to the violence in this. I thought Kane Kasugi for a little kid, he's maybe 10 years old, did some amazing stunts in this. And I like the fact that, Mike, in the first film, you were expecting Franco Nero as the white ninja to be the bad guy. In this one, the white ninja is the bad guy. The white guy is the bad guy, and they made show the good guy. So do you think you seeing this one first affected how you, what you were expecting out of the real first film, Enter the Ninja, then?
2: Oh, I'm sure it did, yeah. I expected a replay, you know, uh, these movies are supposed to be somewhat connected. So I expected having seen show be the good guy and this white guy be the bad guy in the second film that I was going to get more of the same in three and one.
1: I didn't realize how loose these movies were. I don't know if this is the right word to use, but director Sam Furstenberg says this was the most realistic of the three Ninja Canon movies. I don't know if I'd go for that, but I think the the fight scene at the end between Braden and show is actually quite impressive and I do agree with you, Mike. It is kind of flatly made. I think he he talks there's no commentary track on any DVD for this movie. The same guy directed Ninja 3 and on the commentary for that he talks a little bit about the making of this movie as a compare and contrast. He had a lot less time on Revenge because they were trying to strike while the iron was hot and because Enter the Ninja kicked off the Ninja craze Canon had unfortunately emboldened all of their own competitors so they had to get the next one of their Ninja movies out before their competitors could get it out of Ninja movie to capitalize on Enter the Ninja so this movie was kind of thrown together at the last minute. And I agree with you, Mike, you can kind of tell. But I do want to say, you know, Tietzel, had you seen this movie first and
2: grew up with this movie and everything, totally understand, you know, that that whole nostalgia thing and stuff. I, I don't want you to think that I'm ripping on you for liking this movie. It just, it definitely, I would have had a soft spot for this had I seen this, you know, in 83 or, you know, shortly thereafter. And just to me, this felt, a little weak compared to the other two.
3: Oh no, I totally understand. Like from where you're coming, it, it's just it, it has a soft spot for me, and I understand that. So I guess you know uh, there are a lot of movies where you know if you see them now as opposed to 20, 30 years ago, it's just not going to have the same impact. So I I totally get you. Uh, you know, no, I didn't I didn't take offense
1: to it at all. No, he only gets to curse me for this one. <laughs> yeah exactly Earth, you for this darn month. you cecil for liking this movie as a kid <laughs> well but th- this one like i said was the most financially successful of all of them also made for approximately a million dollars this one made 14 million at the box office now all three of the canon ninja trilogies because canon had a distribution deal with mgm at this point were released nationwide you would think These are the kind of movies that are like drive-in fare or limited release fare. These were thousand screen releases. People who are too young might not remember the days when a movie like Revenge of the Ninja from Canon would be released nationwide. It was a different time. It truly was, wasn't it?
3: Oh my god, I would have loved to have seen this on the big screen. (laughs) It's just, ugh! God, that would have been fantastic.
2: Yeah, you know, there are movies today where if you told people they weren't direct-to-DVD or whatever they call it now, direct-to-streaming or whatever, they wouldn't believe you. It's like, I remember seeing all the commercials for Chud, and it was just like, holy shit, this movie looks amazing. (laughs) Well, the first one, anyway.
0: (laughs) I'm
1: not a a, 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 Chud guy, I'm sorry.
2: Ah, boo! Uh, Definitely a different age when you could go back and... uh, and see these things in theaters. And, you know, people will be like, oh, well, yeah, of course, you could see really cr- trashy stuff at, uh, you know, 42nd Street and the grand houses and all this stuff. No, 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 this is you're going to the mall and you're checking out, you know, Revenge of the Ninja. The success of
1: this pushed ninja culture even farther. There was the Ninja Magazine started up at this time, which ran for almost seven years as a monthly. I've got a bunch of those issues. They're fun as hell. You had ninjas on cartoons. Around this, you know, a couple of years later, you'll have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which will kick ninjas even off even more. Ninjas were unstoppable at this point. And unfortunately, Canon found out not completely unstoppable when they made the best film in this trilogy and probably one of the best ninja movies ever Ninja 3 The Domination in 1984. Also written by James R. Silk and directed by Sam Furstenberg. Ninja 3 is the most batshit insane ninja movie you're ever going to see taken seriously at the same time the least financially successful ninja three just barely made back its budget which i think is a crying shame
2: Oh my god. I yeah, this was the redemptive moment for me. Go, coming off of Revenge of the Ninja and seeing this and it starts off and I'm just like, oh, okay, you know, gosh, another ninja fight and this guy's doing just like, I mean, cuz basically ninjas were like superheroes, you know, they could do whatever was needed to be done, become invisible, walk through walls, you know there were like all the x men rolled into one kind of character, the unstoppable pretty much, okay, yeah, all right, here we go with another ninja fight, oh geez, what's he gonna do this time, and then that the fight just keeps going and going and going it just becomes more and more insane. I was like, oh my god this is this is this is crazy, this is crazy. <laughs> I was so down with this and there's one part where like all these cops are showing up and trying to get this guy and going, going, going and it's like he, he, uh, of course he fakes him out at one point and and, uh, it was just like I would have been in the theater cheering had I seen this there. And you haven't even gotten to the
1: haunted video game or the flash dance sequences or the exorcism or any of that yet.
2: It just gets more crazy as it goes along. I couldn't believe how nuts this movie was. This was like I felt like this movie was made for me. It was just like, it just doesn't stop. It just gets more and more insane as we go along. It's like, once you think you have it figured out, no, it becomes a different movie, or no, this other crazy thing happens. This was incredible.
3: <laughs> I
2: adore this movie. From everything from from
3: how just cute as a button Lucinda Dickey is, and how uh, how much of a badass they make her, well, when... Shokasugi puts on the outfit and does all her fights for, Uh, like you said, the haunted video game, uh, the opening where it's Ninja on a golf course, kills everyone (laughs) there, then slaughters like half the police force, takes down a freaking helicopter. (laughs) Like, And then and then they, they surround him and they're just filling him full of bullets and he does the ninja move where he disappears in the ground and then he you know, he passes his spirit on to, to Lucinda to Dickey. Uh it's it's just eighteen tons of insanity and I I it's such a shame that this didn't do well because if this had done well, could you imagine the craziness
1: they'd do with the next one? because this was just that's actually part of the reason sam firstenberg thinks this one didn't do well that the other two were relatively grounded in reality this one brought in demon possession and spirituality and devils and hypnotism and he thinks that they they went too far into that realm too quickly that you go from two straight up action movies to now a supernatural action movie, he thinks that might have been kind of whiplash for the ninja audience, and he thinks that's why this film failed, is they went too nuts. Mm, I could see that, but uh, I don't know. for uh, I, the, the
3: way I look at it, I, I just think it's the, it is the right amount of insanity. It just,
1: it's, it's so many crazy things all coming together, and it just works. Lucinda Dickey, this is her actual first film. They think that might have actually hurt the movie because she made the two Breakin' movies after Ninja 3, but because they were such quick turnarounds and Ninja 3 had such a long post production, both Breakin' movies starring her came out first. So, Glenn and Globus decided because of the success of those, the star and director of Breakin' and Breakin' 2. He thinks that was the wrong way to sell this because, admit it, the people who go to see the canon ninja movies. Probably not the same people that are seeing the Breakin' movies. You were selling this well, movie to the wrong audience.
3: They sold it to me, and
2: I go to see.
1: I was in for both. I know I'm a rarity, but
2: honestly, I don't know how you're going to sell this movie. I mean, this, it is just, to me, it is it's perfect, you know, but I can see people just not getting into this whole idea of exorcism plus ninjas and just that it goes all over the map when it comes to this stuff and just there are so many quote unquote wrong headed things about this movie I don't know it, it probably might have been a bad idea to try to sell this to a break crew because I mean I don't even know I was there with Cecil, I was seeing, you know, the breaking movies at the theater, totally enjoyed those, and I would have enjoyed this movie had I really even known that it existed. But I don't think that I was necessarily the market for this film, you know, I, I, I probably, especially because it was kind of broke with the other ones by calling it Ninja 3, the other movies didn't go for Ninja 1, Ninja 2, so it might have been a bad title choice, really.
1: Well, if you want to be like that, then Alien, Aliens, Alien 3 did the same thing, where you start numbering him at the third film.
2: Well, at least, though, you have a very similar title. Like, But to go from Enter the Ninja to Revenge of the Ninja, this should have been something else of the ninja, even if it was Dominion of the Ninja or something like that. But, yeah, I mean, it was – I don't think that those folks who had seen those other two films might have even known that this was you know, the third part of that quote unquote trilogy
1: well and we got Shokasugi showing up again again as our only link between these these now he's kind of the Yoda like advisor good guy so he went from being the villain to then being the star good guy and now to kind of being just the rescue cavalry good guy Shokasugi I like Shokasugi. in this one he needed more screen time I'm not saying anything bad against Lucinda Dickey because I thought she did a fine job there wasn't enough Shokasugi in this one well, I mean, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't his film. I guess they were looking at
3: how uh, 2 did, and it didn't quite, uh, um, it maybe wasn't, I mean, it was the most financially successful, but maybe uh, it wasn't the movie that they really wanted. Uh, so they decided to kind of go with uh, uh, having Lucinda Dickey at the, at the front. Uh, I like Shokasuki a lot, um, but uh, he, what was it? I think the, the 85 was Pray for Death. So and pray for death is phenomenal. I've got a big box that, VHS of that. Yeah, me too. Actually, the big, you know, gigantic thing with the white plastic insert. Yeah, it. Uh, I'm so. Why is that not on DVD? Because that's tremendous. That's that's it, a toss up between Ninja Three and Pray for Death, which is one of those is my my favorite Ninja movie. It, that's that's a real tough one. The only. Bummer is *Pray for Death* kind of suffered a little bit from what *Revenge of the Ninja* did, uh, where the MPAA got their hands on it. There were some pretty grotesque moments in there that uh, did get cut, unfortunately.
1: There were there were a few of those in *Ninja 3*. Sam Firstenberg on the commentary laments during the exorcism scene, and he admits he was straight up ripping off the exorcist. At one point, her head spun around. Remember when she spits the smoke at James Hong? Right before that, her head had spun all the way around. And they had to remove that to not get an X rating. And he was really lamenting that fact because he thought it was a great effect. And he was just kind of pissed off that it's not in the final film.
3: I unfortunately didn't have the chance to listen to the commentary on it. But uh, yeah, I could I could see that. It, oh, it sucks though. Stupid MPAA.
2: You might say that there's not enough shows, Kasugi. I think there wasn't enough James Hong personally. Yeah, but he
1: he was a pretty good exorcist in his one scene.
2: He was so good. And when he showed up, I was like, you guys didn't even warn me that he was in the movie. But yet I completely blocked it out of my head for some reason. When he showed up, I was like, oh my God, this is fantastic.
1: (laughs) So it just keeps getting better and better. One of the biggest drawbacks of this film are the cops. Most of them are real Phoenix police officers playing (laughs) those roles. And you can tell they're not actors. That really does take you... It took me out of the movie a couple of times when they're almost clearly reading off cue cards. I think you... I I get it that you had the cooperation of the Phoenix PD and all the scenes inside the police department, that's the actual Phoenix PD that allowed them to shoot inside there. You needed to get some actors because these guys were clearly cops and not actors.
2: Yeah, they were pretty clunky, but again, it just kind of added to the charm for me. It was like... Because it felt like... You know, the the other actors were pretty darn good, and then you've got these guys who are chasing after him, and it almost made them feel even more incompetent um, as a police force in the movie than they actually already were. So, I, I, it worked for me in that weird way.
3: Well, I, I figured the guy, uh, the boyfriend, was uh, an actual actor. Uh, him and his chest hair were, <laughs> my God, dude! I was like, oh, my God, crap. when he took
1: when he took his shirt off, I'm like, <laughs> <"Are>, is this <laughs> now a werewolf movie? <laughs> I was
2: really hoping that you know she would spray him down with some VA juice or something, you know.
1: Well, she did pour oh. the VA juice down her own top at one point. <laughs> yeah, was, one of the most like, unsexy sexy scenes I've ever seen. I'm like that is smell the only VA way. Juice. Yeah, oh. that's the only way I would ever drink VA. Is <laughs> down fricking Lucinda Dicky's neck. According to Sam <laughs> Furstenberg, that scene was improvised. He just told them to be sexy. Lucinda came up with that idea on set. Oh wow. <laughs> I don't know if that makes it better or worse. Uh, sure. I think it's pretty. I think it's good. But yeah. Oh, uh, when
3: I, I felt bad for her, actually when he took off his shirt and it was just that that humongous like pile of chest hair. I'm like, oh god. Now that's some acting. If she's acting like she's still attracted to this dude. <laughs> Well, then
1: we also got to point out her apartment in this is the most 80s apartment of all time. And the entire thing was a set. Because remember the scene where she's getting possessed and the closet is trying to suck her in? Which, by the way, is a straight-up ripoff of Poltergeist. Sam Furstenberg admits that. To be able to do that effect properly, they built her entire set on a lift. So they were actually able to pick the set up and dump her into the closet. I love her apartment in this.
2: Oh, yeah, completely. I was really reminded of, and I guess cause it was right around the same time, wasn't I? I was reminded of uh, The Terminator quite a bit when we were in her apartment. Same and year, yeah. She would have been, like, the the good third roommate to Sarah Connor and her annoying roommate. So, yeah, I was, I was totally like, oh, wow. Yeah, it's very, very 80s. And, yeah, as you're talking about the glowing swords and stuff, it's just like, again, movie kicks it up a notch. Yet another bout of insanity that I absolutely loved.
1: Probably the most insane moment, almost to going to the wah moment of Enter the Ninja that I went, really? Was when she's getting possessed and she feels herself losing control, she's going to dance the demon away. And she turns <laughs> the stereo on and starts doing her aerobic workout. I'm like, this is almost daring me to not laugh at this point.
2: Yeah. I would love to see this with an audience um, who have had a few to drink.
1: Or who've never seen it before and have no idea what's coming.
2: Oh yeah, I, I can't even imagine.
1: Oh, her apartment's
3: terrific. I when when I reviewed this like years ago for her apartment where she's slow motion walking towards the closet and the smoke and the lights coming out, I just put in uh, freaking white snakes here I go like over top of it like where she's just very slowly. I'm like this looks like it's pulled right out of a music video. <laughs> it, it's just terrific that and uh, I was a big fan of uh, when she's coming out of class and all the construction workers just assault her
1: for no reason. They're kind of rapey. Daylight. They're a little overtly rapey in that scene.
3: I would say they were a lot rapey. Yeah. there and, and it's just like, um, this is broad daylight and there's like a whole bunch of people here. It's like and then she, of course beats the living crap out of them, and it's awesome. But yeah, it was,
1: that made me laugh at how ridiculous it was. Well, now, Ninja 3, being the least financially successful, actually was the most pop culture successful. Because of HBO and MGM, even though this didn't do well financially in the theater, gave this a monster push on VHS. They sold more VHSs of this one than Revenge and Inter combined. Well, when I say not the le- when I say the least successful, I only mean at the box office. Ninja 3 is the one that everybody knows. Ninja 3 has a special edition Blu-ray. It's the only one of these three that are on Blu-ray and that has extras. What does that say about this film versus the other two? Do you think this one it didn't age as well because this is the, one of the most 80s movies ever? But do you think this movie aged with its audience better than Enter and Revenge did? You see, I don't
3: mind when a movie, it looks like the time period when it's supposed to be. Not everything can be timeless, and I don't mind that. Like, it, it uh, this looks 80s, and it was in the 80s, and I'm, I'm good with that. So uh, I, I think that, uh, that that doesn't bother me at all. I think that um, it's great that it found its audience after it got released to cable and, and home video, and now, years later, it's still finding its audience with a lot of people who are, you know, continuing to talk about it. Uh, it's become, uh, you know, kind of a, a pop culture thing that gets mentioned often enough on Ninja 3, The Domination. And like you said, it, it freaking got a Blu-ray release, for crying out loud, something I never thought was going to happen. And I'm glad I bought it, like, the immediately as soon as it came out. But um, it's, it's good that it's gone on to be so successful. I kind of wish that, uh, you know, the other two
1: would uh, take off a little bit, but at least they're on DVD, you know? Mike, since you were the one who had not seen this before, do you think, Mike, my question about did this age with its audience, or is it so 80s, do you think it, it kind of is hitting that cheesy, kitschy, oh, look at how cute that is kind of thing with people?
2: Oh, geez. I mean, for me, it was very much the kitsch kind of thing, but I think even in 84, I would have been pretty flabbergasted by what was going on with it. I mean, yeah, it, it just it was so eighties across the board. I mean, the the dancing, everything, the music to it, it was just it hit all the notes. And so to have that kind of time capsule now, what 30 years later, is that right? Um, Yes. 84, 94. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it's amazing to go back and look at. And I think it also, how I was talking about how it doesn't necessarily fit with the other two in terms of titling and everything. I think that actually kind of works in its favor that this one is so kind of this oddball of the trilogy, in that you really don't have the Ninja One, Ninja Two to kind of support this. It feels almost a little Troll Two esque at times. You know, just like a, a, a movie called Troll Two, where there are no um, trolls in it, kind of thing. <laughs> so goblins, goblins, yes. So it works for me. Nilbog. Oh, wait a second. Nilbog <laughs> spelled backwards is
1: goblin.
2: Oh, my God!
1: <laughs> well, did you guys also notice in the first film, the little helper guy for Franco Nero is the crazy grandfather from Silent Night, Deadly Night? Christmas Eve is the scariest night of the whole damn year! <laughs> I love that guy. He was great. But then, now, since this one technically failed at the box office, they called it failure, even though it made more than its budget, they stopped making part of the, the this canon you know, at this point, a trilogy. And they went off and started off the very next year with the American Ninja series, which would actually be the most popular. American Ninja 1 would actually make more money than Enter the Ninja and Revenge of the Ninja did. So probably the wise move to actually change the title, even though they really didn't change the style much, other than having Dudikoff be in all of them instead of Shokasugi. Do you think that these movies deserve their place in history, looking back at the ninja craze? Because a lot of people don't, appreciate canon for what it was and canon is looked at as sort of (sighs) the asylum likes to think of themselves as the modern day canon and i think too many younger people associate the asylum and canon together and i think that's absolute bullshit canon was canon the asylum is attempting to be a ripoff of canon do you think the modern audience can appreciate these three movies the way they were meant to i would really hope so how's that for an answer
2: (laughs) yeah i i I don't think people realize what canon was at the time a lot these days. I mean, I don't think they realize even like when you look at like a Carol Co. or anything. I think the whole idea of what a movie company brings to the table has been lost quite a bit, other than Asylum, because Asylum is such a strong brand right now. But unfortunately, Asylum just stands for crap. You know, there's nothing, like, you don't think like, oh, well, all these other Asylum films stink but oh my gosh this one is absolutely amazing and it kind of flew under the radar and they really hit it these other studios from this era that's how it was it was that there were there's some junk out there but then it's like so many entertaining films and everything and and you knew kind of what you're in for when you watch some of these movies but at the same time they were a little bit of surprise and they were actually trying to be good most of the time i would think i don't think they ever made a bad film on purpose it just kind of happened that way whereas asylum that's their whole like we're going to be as stupid as we humanly possibly can
3: even i admit that the asylum they are making intentional garbage whereas canon they were making good movies. They, they never set out to make a bad movie every now and then they would make something that wasn't good. Over the top. All, uh, come on. Over the top is great. No, it's not, but okay. uh, that, that's an but argument we'll, for another. That's time. an argument for another day. The the thing was they, they never intentionally were like, all right, we're just going to, we're going to shoot this. And as little, t- I mean, it happens like with revenge of the ninja where they had a limited time frame, but Asylum has their formula, you know, you have X amount of days to shoot, you have X amount of days to do the effects, and once that's done, the movie ships, whether it's done or whether, you know, finished or not, it goes out the door. And that has been successful for them. They've kind of really just gotten lucky that they had this formula that worked at the right time, where people wanted to ironically watch garbage, but canon... There is quality there. The the directing is good. The effects a lot of the times are good. The stories are fun. They're just entertaining movies. The Asylum, the majority of them are just awful. And they're funny because they're bad. And then occasionally they'll make like a Sherlock Holmes or a Sharknado that just ends up being good. It it just it worked for whatever reason. The formula came together and it, it worked. So I wouldn't call them... I would call them the Asylum. I wouldn't call them the new canon.
1: They are not the new canon. The 80s were the era of the ninja. And I don't think... I think the zeitgeist of the early 80s is what was necessary for an American-produced ninja movie. And I think canon encompassed that zeitgeist perfectly. Yeah, Ninja 3 might not have worked for a mass audience. I love the film. I think Ninja 3 is the most batshit insane action movie I've ever seen. And I mean that positively on every level. Like I tried to warn you, Mike, that you were in for something insane, and even with my warnings, you were still surprised.
2: Oh, I mean, you know, people were raving about Haosu a few years ago coming, you know, back out, and people appreciating this, you know, uh, kind of artsy, crazy Japanese film from what '77 or whatever. I would say if you like Haosu, go right for uh, Ninja 3 Domination. That it's it's right there for you.
1: You don't need to see the first two.
2: No, no, you don't. I mean, it it might be better if you don't.
1: It it might actually be, because, yeah, because we all had the frame of reference of Shokasugi in other roles. If you just see him with that that eye patch that looks like a a small sewer cover over his eye, he's trying to do comedy in this one, which was a little awkward, but I thought some of it worked. How he took out the two morgue attendants I thought was legitimately funny. I, I don't know. Ninja 3... I've seen a lot of reviews of this one, because this one coming out from Shout Factory, Scream Factory, and having a Blu-ray release, there's more reviews and whatnot of Ninja 3 than the other two. People do seem to be looking at it as like, oh my god, this is the most 80s movie ever, you have to see that. I think that's kind of insulting, actually. The movie is very 80s, but it's actually a pretty internally consistent film, even if it might not make a lot of sense externally what are your final thoughts on the canon ninja trilogy as a whole well as a whole i mean it's
2: absolutely bizarre that these three films are kind of grouped together i mean they all more than anything they work on their own and really shouldn't be considered a trilogy yeah because they just they're they're not related there's not a continuous storyline um we've got one actor that carries through but it, it it isn't a trilogy really and individually these films are pretty darn great I mean I, I loved one uh, I would probably go back and watch one again and I'm definitely gonna check out three again and I'm looking forward to having friends over some time and unleashing three upon them
3: that's probably the perfect word to use unleash as a whole, they're great there. Each one has their own strengths and weaknesses three for, you know, definitely being the best. And then two will always have a soft spot for me. And one being just such an unexpected, but cool movie. Uh, Django that, as a ninja. Django as a ninja. Exactly. It, it's just, the, it's great. They're all entertaining. Three and one are absolutely entertaining. I know you guys have said that two is kind of spotty, but, uh, uh, I, I like, uh, I like all three of them. And, uh, They're definitely the kind of movie where or the kind of movies where you can have your friends over and just plot one of these on and then just sit there and have a great time. They're they're tremendously fun movies.
1: I think for the trilogy as a whole, I can see how this kicked ninjas into the mainstream and also how. It got so ridiculous in a good way, so relatively fast that it helped kill the ninja in the mainstream until the TMNT came out a year or two later. But at the same time, when people think of canon, they think of Chuck Norris movies or Charles Bronson movies or in the later years, Van Damme movies. When I think of canon, these are the three movies I think of. These exemplify a canon film, decent budgets, well shot, good action, Recognizable stars or relatively recognizable stars, they still play like an exploitation movie. I think these movies, more than anything else, exemplify the whole B movies on A budgets philosophy that canon had. That's why I always recommend the Ninja trilogy to people whenever they are just finding out about canon now. If they're a younger person, I always recommend these three movies, Ninja 3 specifically. Mike. Where can people find you if they, if they want to destroy you? Because only a Mike White can destroy a Mike White. I am
2: uh, over at ProjectionBoothPodcast.com.
1: And Cecil, since only a ninja can destroy a ninja, you are not a ninja. So if people wish to destroy you? I am very easy to destroy over at GoodBadFlicks.com as well as GeekJuiceMedia.com. And I am Christopher George level of not giving a fuck when you try to destroy me at 1201beyond.com, and you can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Remember, James Hong as an exorcist. Go see Ninja 3.
0: Love has no meaning, but where they come from, but we know pleasure is not that simple, very little, Food is forbidden, sometimes we wobble, sometimes we're strong, but you know evil is an exact science, being carefully correct.